my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Nama here, Tefano, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy. Where for the sit down, I'm joined by a member of the Crusaders and a Māori All Black in Bryn Hall. First of all, brother, very much appreciative of your time, and how are? How are? Now it's great to hear a bit of Māori, bit of Māori coming out early doors. So um, it's always nice to hear the native language. Um, but now it's really good, bro, at the moment. Um, thanks for having me on on board, and um, I guess also we'll probably delve into a little bit. But we've got a big week ahead, and. I guess looking forward to seeing what that encounter um, is going to be coming forth. But um, no, really excited to be on the show. And again, thanks for having me. I think we touched on just before off here, another hard fought win on the weekend. Is the collective happy with how things are tracking for the season so far? Yeah, I guess it seems probably the last two weeks we've um, really just kind of dug our heels in and kind of just held on for a victory. And I think um, at the moment, it just seems that, you know, any time we're playing these teams, especially in derby games, um, they're coming down to the last the last minute or the last play and um, I guess for us learnings um, we'd ideally want to finish off teams a little bit earlier so we don't for our fans make it a little bit closer than it has been the last fortnight but again I just think it's the kind of competition that we are at at the moment with these derbies um, it's one moment it's one play and unfortunately you know we're just missing a few opportunities I think on the weekend we had two disallowed tries which in that second half if we score those, try, score those tries then you know, it might be a different result and you know, we wouldn't have to worry about Scott Barrett making a massive play to win that game, which um, the big skip did on the weekend, which is really nice for us. Touching on that play, legal or? <laughs> oh, for me, mate, it's, um, I, thought it, I thought it was okay. But um, I can see, I can see from, uh, if you're not in, a, in the Crusaders uh, camp, you could probably see that it would, might have been a penalty. But yeah, just that kind of 50-50 play and look, you know, if we're probably going into on to the Monday of this week, you know, if Scotty doesn't get that right, they probably score line out more or they score off that. So our learnings is, is that we probably don't want to get it to the point where the ref has to make that decision. So hopefully it doesn't get that close to the Blues on the weekend. Nice time the party line. Um, the Crusaders have become synonymous with winning close games. And for you who came into the environment coming from outside the region, can you explain what it is that differs within the red and black camp than that outside of it, you know, in your own experience and maybe stuff you've touched on with um, contemporaries as to why, yeah, you guys always seem to come up trumps in those big moments or 99% of the time. It's a really good question. And I think, um, especially early on in my career, you know, I went from North Harbour to the Blues and um, especially early in my career, not understanding on how to win those kind of games or winning games like that. And I guess for me, it's just through time and experience of like, you know, well, a lot of this group really, has been together for for the whole time that I've been there. And even before when I got there, um, you, we had season All Blacks, the likes of Ryan Crotty, Kieran Reid, Matt Todd, Izzy Dagg, those kind of names um, that were in our group. And so um, they gained a lot of experience. And they had a lot of experience. And so for us, for me coming in as a new guy, um, to be honest, it was more so just our preparation. Preparation was a massive factor that I found. There was a massive difference from earlier in my career. And going bone deep, you probably haven't heard that before, but um, the meaning behind that is like, you know, Every, every single little thing, minor detail, isn't too small. And those are probably the um, things that I noticed really um, clearly when I came down. And so then once you get your preparation right, you become much more instinctive and instinct, yeah, way more instinctive in seeing what's in front of you. And then um, I think just collectively, the group that we've got together as well, the main players that have been a part of this, you know, I guess you'd say a dynasty, you know, let's say call it a dynasty for the last five, six years. We've all been in different situations, understanding of different moments in games. We've won, we've come back from big leads, from um, big deficits. We've had big leads, we've had draws. And so we've just had a lot of experience in those kind of moments. So 
I guess the more times you get put in those uh, pressure moments, um, you just feel a lot more confident knowing that you've been through it. But then again, I think the preparation side has been a massive, um, a massive eye opener for me when I've, ever since I've come down here. Yeah, because every team trains the same, right? You all go through similar pre-seasons. You're all lifting similar tin, but it's the top two inches. And a lot of teams have experienced players, but it just, it doesn't matter with the Crusaders though. You get a lot of young guys coming through, especially the latest crop, you know, the likes of Cullen Grace, Tom Christie, Will Jordan, Lester Fanganuku. Like they haven't looked out of place since they've come on the scene. Whereas you see with a lot of other teams, it maybe takes the younger guys a couple more years for them to get adjusted to playing and dealing with those sorts of pressures. So is it purely just an environment thing and being able to learn off the experiences like you named off before, you know, the Crotties, the Ritos? I think so. But I think um, more importantly, I think what they do really well down here is the academy system down at the Crusaders and kind of nurturing our guys and coming in like, you know, let's say an apprentice program. You know, you look, I think of the likes of Will Jordan and Braden Enor, Cullen Grace and all those young guys that are coming through. Uh, they come through the, the Crusaders Academy who uh, Webby runs that system and they're straight away put into our environment and into our trainings really slowly. And they get a really good understanding through meetings and being in, you know, for two, three weeks early on in their first years out of school or preseason period. And so they get ingrained at what it is to be able to be a Crusaders player and playing at that level and what's expected of you when you come into the environment. So I guess the introduction program that they do with the Crusaders is done really, really well. And look, that's not to say that it's not done in anywhere else. I don't know personally, uh, but I just know with our club, um, like you said, it just seems like it's a seamless transition where these guys are coming in because they've got a clear understanding and I guess idea what, what it is to be a Crusaders player, what it looks like to play, to prepare. And then when they get given the opportunity, they're not put out there just on an island and it's not like they've just been put in there two weeks or three weeks when they've just got the call up of playing good footy. It's been a process of a year, two years in our environment, training with us, going through meetings and going all through those minor details um, to then be able to get on the field when they get on there. It just seems like they're another cog on the wheel with our, within our team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've, I mean, you've seen other teams try and emulate it and they've had their all sort of their own sort of runs of small success. I think the Hurricanes, you know, when they had TJ and Bowden Barrett and all that coming through under Chris Boyd, um, the Highlanders had to build into their team. And then probably most recently, it's been the Blues. I think for a long time, they tried to maybe adopt a lot of stuff from outside of Auckland. But only recently, I think Leon McDonald's maybe taken a similar approach to what the Crusaders um, had during his time and maybe touched on it with Scott Robertson when he was working under him and actually, you know, getting these boys to, you know, play for their city and play for their region. And yeah, like as I touched on before, you are actually an Auckland boy. So do you want to take us back to your younger days? Where'd you grow up and where'd you start playing footy? Yeah, I was. So yeah, I was born and bred in Auckland. Um, I've got a twin brother and mum and dad obviously living in Auckland. Grew up in the kind of Mount Eden area in Auckland and played all my junior rugby at Northcote Rugby. Played all my J8s, J1s, which is probably from the age of five till about 11. Played all of my junior rugby there. My dad was a part of the first inaugural championship winning team in North Harbour um, with Northcote. Mm. So that was my um, my going back to my grassroots rugby days with Northcote. And then went to St. Peter's College uh, from year seven to year 13. And, um, you know, really loved my time there. I think not only just for the rugby, but I guess the, the virtues and the kind of standards that they live with um, has really been important to not only my rugby, but just everyday life. So had my schooling years there, played first 15 rugby there for four years and, um, you know, really enjoyed my grassroots rugby there with playing with my friends. And then um, I guess it kind of set me up for then being able to play representative rugby in New Zealand schoolboys and New Zealand 20s and then flowing on into the um, into the professional ranks. 
through. So I actually spent a bit of time in Auckland myself. And I mean, just, just quickly, I, I lived more out east ways, but then I also lived quite centrally as well. I, I did a year at Mags. That was my first year of high school. But the reason I mentioned this is... I hold that against me. <laughs> no, well, the, my year nine, they had Michael Fatialofa, Pili Cowley, oh, yeah. Matt McGann, Albert Nicoro, bro, superstars. Like, I just remember looking at those guys thinking they were all blacks, but I digress. Uh, I, I, I touch on the Auckland part because you mentioned the fact that you were playing your junior rugby over the shore. Now, that's a long drive. Like, for anybody that knows Auckland, Auckland traffic is bad. So, is, is your dad just, yeah, just purely a stalwart of the North Coat Club and was like, nah, my boys aren't playing for, any, playing for anybody else? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you are right. It's like un unconventional. It's not your kind of normal uh, place to go. But yeah, look, dad was, um, he played his, his club rugby, his senior rugby over there. And so for us, when I was younger, I was able to go to his games and then um, he loved the club. And then, you know, it was only, you know, so then me and my brother were going to follow follow ranks and follow him to the club. And yeah, I love I love my time there. Anytime I get to go back there, um, I played a lot of bit of club rugby when I was back in Auckland when I could when I was at the Blues, but um, haven't been able to actually don on the maroon and gold, uh, which is quite sad because I love playing with my brother and that. But, um, yeah, that's the reason why I went over there. Dad was a massive part of that club, and um, he, like I said, he won the first championship there. And then Blakey and I, um, ever since we were five, you know, we kind of went back to the to the club as juniors. And then once we were a little bit older, leaving school, I actually did a year in Pokeranga, um, obviously talking from our east. Uh, Wayne Pivak and actually uh, Romy Ropati. Uh, wanted me to get out there at a school because I was obviously in the Auckland system at, the, at that time. And Wayne Pivot came to me and said, look, Brent, we're looking for a nine. Um, we think you've got the ability to go straight into Premier Rugby. Got a good system. Wayne Pivot had a great coaching uh, management behind him and he had great coaching credentials as well. And so I did my first year out there at Pakuranga and, you know, had some really good stories there, had some good, uh, had some good moments. But then um, eventually came back home, signing with North Harbour in 2012 and coming back home to North Coders, which um, the club that I love. Yeah, bro, I played for Pakaranga as well. Um, if I were to sum that club up in a couple of words, one dollar. Holy, there's some money out those ways. Um, yeah. But you touched on your yeah. time at Peters. You mentioned you played four years of first 15. How did your time there shape you to where you are now? Because, yeah, again, four years in a first 15 is not normal. Most, most of the good, good players play about three, but then to play in year 10... Yeah, that, 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 that's a feat in itself. So can you touch on your time at Peters and also maybe mention, was it during that period in playing first team rugby that you were like, hey, I'm not too bad at this footy thing. I want to make a career out of it. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, you know, as kids, we don't think too much about it um, until you get those to those later years. And so I think, you know, early, early on, I think I look back at our under-15s time, you know, we we're actually really lucky that during our school, you know, we weren't a part of the, this poaching system that the kids are going to go through now that it doesn't matter how much money, whether you're St. Kent or you're Kings. Look, I won't. I won't go into that. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess for us at our time, you know, we were really homegrown. And so, you know, the kids that were from Form 1 to Form 3, you know, what are the, oh, the young kids call it a year now, don't they? Because yeah. I'm too old. So, um, year 7, I was year 7. And so we went through the ranks playing under-14s and under-15s and winning national titles. And then we all went through um, coming into like year 10. So in my first year, we were re all our under-15 guys were playing in that team. And we just barely held on for relegation. And those times there was relegation. And we just held on because we just had such a young group. Mm -hmm. um, but then you know, the likes of Francis Ioli, um, you know, who else was there? Ben Lamb. Uh, we also had a lot of guys that were in and around that Auckland secondary kind of school at, the mo at that time. And I guess I kind of got to the age of probably... My sixth form year was when they um, did the New Zealand under-17s back in our days. They used to do that. So you used to have three camps 
through the year and um, I guess kind of going through that campaign and understanding like more so just an introduction of what super rugby or like professional rugby would look like if you get your things right. It was a great education around what being a professional rugby player looked like. And so I'd probably say, yeah, probably 16, 17, my sixth form year, kind of getting an idea in my head that, you know, look, if I, you know, have a good work ethic and things that have been instilled into me at a young age and do do it, do it right, then I could possibly see myself having that as a career. But again, you know, there's so much things that can change within that time. And for me, I've been really lucky. I had a great support system and dad was massive around that, not only myself, but my brother. And so I had some really good things that were instilled into me, whether it be work ethic and leadership skills that were brought up through my junior ranks um, and ability of just loving the game as well. So those are kind of the three things that I just, I had with me, but then once you start making improvements in your game, getting selected for teams, and you kind of get to that kind of New Zealand schools age, I thought it was, and then going into the New Zealand 20 system where it became a little bit more like, okay, you know what? I think I can become a professional rugby player. And then again, you get the learnings from coaches and, mentors and you kind of make a transition to moving into semi-professional with minor 10 and then super rugby as a professional player sounded like a pretty onto it guy for what you would have been like 16 17 that's probably the reason why you are where you are and i'm asking you the questions um but <laughs> before i get into what you did when you left school i know that you touched on the pakaranga stuff you're known for your over exaggeration of your pass and i mean over exaggeration it's just it's so noticeable so I, I was just wondering whether or not that's always been your technique or is that something that, I don't know, a, a specialist coach got you in doing and it just felt good. And I mean, again, it's got to where you, it's got you to where you are now. So that's quite good. It's funny, man. Yeah. I have heard that a, a couple of times, but um, no, I think honestly, it actually came from um, Francis Soli. I remember when we were at school, so he was a year above me and he went to the New Zealand under 17 camps the year before me. And so you have a resources coach, and I can't remember who who taught him or Wayne Smith. It might possibly might have been Wayne Smith, but the kind of drill that they enforced at that camp or set at that camp was to have it on your hip. A lot of a lot of players or a lot, yeah, a lot of young kids will understand this. You have it on your hip, and then you follow through towards where your target is, which is usually you know the left tip of your first five or your, your chest, um, and you follow through towards that target. And so like as soon as I heard Francis, he came back and I said, oh mate, bro, any tips that you got from that camp that I could just use? Um, for my past and he said yeah use this and so that example that I used for you was actually from Francis Soli and I just made I grabbed the, I grabbed the heavy ball I grabbed and then I grabbed a ball and just started doing that consistently my whole for the rest of my school career and yeah like you said it's just continued on and yeah just kind of um, I guess it's my trademark of how, of how I passed the ball. No I mean it shows you got a beautiful pass and that's probably like the, the biggest hitch for a lot of guys is that you can tell a pass is usually on the money if you've got the follow through so yeah it's it's fair to say you've probably had enough reps under your belt to where it's become um, muscle memory so schools and then pakaranga out of school but before you crack into playing premier club rugby were there any other offers on the table was there the opportunity to maybe go down to canterbury as an 18 year old or elsewhere really good question um I think I was really lucky. Again, I think when you um, when you're given opportunities to play like New Zealand schools and you've had a, a successful run at schoolboy, and at that kind of time, like the New Zealand in the twenties for rugby league, you know that competition that was there, mm. um, Cup, that was yeah. just kind of, yeah a lot of your Toyota Cup, a lot of a lot of players, especially in our team, getting offers to do that. So, actually, my my last school year, me and Matty McGann, actually Zach Moimoy and my brother, we actually ended up going over to the Melbourne Storm for two weeks. Before school, yeah, before school started, I had an um, agent at the time who was a rugby league agent, and he sent us over there for two weeks. And me and Matt McGann got asked to come back, and they actually offered us contracts. Yeah, they offered us contracts. So Matt McGann obviously went. He mm. went away. 
um, and the Melbourne Storm offered me a contract as well. And also the New Zealand Warriors as well. They came and offered me a contract to play um, as well during that time. And then, yeah, yeah, like a, a Mitre 10 Cup um, gig and that kind of stuff. But I guess at that time for me, I just wanted to really play for Auckland and wanted to go through that kind of that kind of stage with playing school, um, say for St. Peter's and, and wearing the Auckland jersey as well. So that was my uh, my movement and I decided to let it go. But yeah, the Melbourne Storm camp was tough, man. Holy man, oh man, bro. It was, yeah, honestly, yeah, one of the most hardest camps and pre-seasons I've ever done in my life. And I, and I, I like myself that I'm, I feel like I'm quite fit. But um, yeah, those boys were, um, it, was a, it was definitely an eye-opener seeing how those boys trained. What could have been? Okay. Yeah. You opt to stay in rugby and you opt to stay in Auckland. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what's the follow-through? You're playing club rugby, you're studying on the side, and then can you talk us through the progression to where you played, I think it was 20s, your second year out, and then getting hooked up with North Harbour? Yeah, so um, I went through a lot of us boys that were kind of in the New Zealand schools and from Auckland, you know, got given um, academy contracts and I only signed a year, wanted to sign a year, um, you know, just to see how it went. And then, because at that time, I got offered a couple of contracts from North Harbour for Mighty Tech Cup and actually Otago, my first year out of school. But I guess kind of at that time, Bunnings NPC or Mighty Tech Cup was a little bit different around, um, you know, going straight into Mighty Tech Cup. You actually didn't mind being in the academy and then going through that. You know, but if mm-hmm. I had that opportunity again, you know, I probably would have just gone and played the Mighty Tech Cup straight away. But yeah, did a year in Auckland, played for Pakaranga, played all my, um, my senior rugby out there. And then, just kind of got to a stage where I was like, um, at that time, unfortunately, there was Pity Weepu, Toby Morlin, and Albie Matheson, who were the halfbacks at the time. So um, there were a lot of good players at that time um, that were seasoned, weren't going to move around too much. And so for me, I was, you know, pretty much just, it was a stopgap for me. And I couldn't really, you know, there would have been a couple more years where I was going to be able to get an opportunity there. And so Liam Barry at the time, who was the North Harbour coach, and he actually coached me in my last year of Blues Under 18s. He said, look, mate, we're, um, we're interested in you and we need a halfback and uh, we know you're originally from North Harbour. Uh, we'd love to get you back home and uh, we'd love for you to come play for us. And so, yeah, it was a pretty easy decision in the end. I think with the examples that I said with those guys that were there, um, it was really easy for me to get back home. I know North Harbour, we were struggling at that time, but I think it was just important for me as well to get back home. And, um, you know, I love playing for North Coast. It was a great opportunity for me to then go play back club with all the guys that I grew up with. The club people, the old, the old boys that my dad introduced me to, it was a great chance to reconnect with them, and then, um, then getting to play the opportunity, the opportunity to play Bunnings NPT or, or Mighty Ten Cup at that time was um, was the goal. Nice, a homecoming of sorts. So you mm. talk about Harbour not doing that well, but you yourself must have been must have been going all right though, because you ended up getting a Super Rugby contract for the following year. So. Did you think that you'd get that opportunity so early? Like, I know that you, what was it, you co-captained the New Zealand under-20s your second year out, so then that's the following year. Like, was that normal at the time to progress, you know, that fast? Yeah, I didn't have any goals, to be honest. I just, for me, it was just getting a a really good campaign of, like, learning under NPC of, like, understanding what it is to be kind of a professional rugby player. And there was really no talks before, and it wasn't until I played probably my first couple of games, first two games, and actually the Highlanders, yeah, the Highlanders, Jamie Joseph actually gave me a call and he actually said, hey, mate, um, this is that time when actually Aaron Smith was actually starting at the time. And then said, we've got this young carpet coming through. And we'd, uh, this was actually before they ended up signing um, Fumiaki Tanaka. But um, they um, offered me and said, look, mate, we'd love to get, get you down there. We think you're playing well. Um, and at the time, Jamie Joseph was the um, Maldives coach as well. And threw that carried at me. But, um, you know, I think for me in that early part of my career, I was always wanting to have the ambitions to play at home at the Blues, always, you know, supported them growing up. It was always a goal that I wanted to do. And I think the fact that 
it's probably a blessing that Jamie Joseph at the time actually was able to call me because um, it put a bit of pressure on the Blues. And like, as soon as I had that meeting with Jamie Joseph, within like four days, I had John Kilburn calling me and saying, hey, mate, would I be keen to have you? So um, look, if Jamie Joseph didn't give me that interview at the time or that time to possibly sign me, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been at the Blues. But yeah, signed a two-year deal with the Blues after that. And it was just a really tough Mighty 10 Cup season. I think we won one game. We lost every single way you could think of to lose. Big hidings, losing in the last minute, draws, then losing. Um, it was a real eye-opener and a massive learning for me um, that year of rugby. It definitely was. Baptism by fire. All right. So then you kick on to play uh, for the Blues the following year. You make your debut against the Crusaders, coincidentally. Yeah. Can you talk us through, like, maybe that preseason, rolling into the season? Like, did you – because, I mean, you would have been – the youngest maybe of, of, of the crop of guys that they would have brought in, you know, with it being your rookie year. Yeah. Did, again, did you expect to get any game time that year? Because a lot of guys that I talk to when they're first drafted in, unless they're like the bee's knees, they just say like, nah, I, I win them with, with no expectations. I just tried to sit next to all the vets. And if I got given an opportunity, main. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, at the time, Piriwipu was the incumbent. He was an All Black. And so for me, I was pretty realistic around what my expectations were going into probably the first couple of years of my Super Rugby career. But um, I think for me, there was only three of us signed. So Pity was there, and then me and Jamison Gibson Park, we were actually going at it. So I knew that there was a possibility of that, you know, what, if I have a good preseason and get myself into good shape and do what I need to do in preseason, then I know that I will be given an opportunity because, you know, the, the likes of Jamison and myself, we were going to get an opportunity to play just because, to sit under Piriwipu and, and learn, I guess, and plow a trade off the, off the bench. But yeah, that preseason was great. Uh, it was a really old school preseason. Like I think these days, like these kids are really lucky now because um, you're actually allowed to touch a ball in preseason where early years of my career, mate, you didn't touch a ball. Like you'd start in November have the whole month and you wouldn't touch a ball, you would just be running, running, running and doing off-feet um, conditioning and that. So it's been nice actually and, and been able to move on now and not go through that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was a really tough preseason. And then, like you said, got my debut against the Crusaders, which, you know, was, uh, which was a great experience. I think I remember I was on the bench and just, mate, full of nerves. Like I played the game before the game was even played, like because I was so not used to playing 7.30 games, you play schoolboy rugby and all the games are at kind of 2.30 it's a bit of a process to get used to that. And so like, I actually went out to watch my brother play club rugby that night, uh, ran the water for them. But I was trying to not think of the game, but you know, obviously it's your first debut. There's so many emotions that come through, like being your debut, getting to the ground, experiencing that, being on the bench, not knowing if you're going to get on, on the field. Um, and so like, by the time I actually got on, I was pretty, um, I was pretty buggered mentally. Eh? And I was actually like a, a headless truck in that game, just trying to run everywhere, trying to move. And like, to be honest, it was really, really a blur of, of 18 minutes of, running on there but um, yeah it was a great experience because you know, I wanted to do that for so long my parents my family all my mates were there and it was a lifelong goal that I've, that I've had since I was a really little, really little kid and to be able to um, to do that in front of them and, and get a win I believe it's the Blues actually last time That's they fine. beat the Crusaders yeah. when I was there so um, yeah a really special night and you know definitely one that I remember for, um, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And fingers crossed this weekend that it stays the same uh, but, but not too long after making your debut you were struck down by a couple of things the first being a broken jaw and then you followed that up with glandular fever now given you know how i just touched on you had a pretty sharp rise from when you left school and then you make your debut you know you, like you said you're in bloody good nick you're in a good headspace you're getting to learn off a legend like pal but then to be hit by that and then pretty much be knocked out for what close to 
all of the year. You might have yep. had a little bit of MPC, if my homework's right. How did yep. you deal with that period? Had you, had you gone through a long-term injury before? Yeah, no, I never had, like, a touch at that moment. I had never had injuries, maybe possibly, like, a little you know, shoulder sprain or a little leg sprain that was only for a couple of weeks. So um, I guess it was really, it was disappointing, first and foremost, because you wanted to be out there and at that time, you know, had just been experiencing just super rugby and being professional rugby and being on tour and all those kind of things that uh, you have as a professional rugby player. And then I guess the broken jaw, you know, it was tough, but it wasn't too bad because it was five, six weeks. You know, I could still do upper body. I could still work on, still still could pass and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of, I took it as kind of a block of being able to get a little bit bigger and still have things that I could try and improve on being a young player. Uh, but probably the glandular fever one was, was the toughest because I put on a little bit of size, just played my first game of club rugby. I came back after six weeks and straight after that game, that glandular fever just smashed, just smoked me. And I think I lost all my fitness. I don't know if people have had glandular fever forever has had it. Like it's a terrible way to get it. You lose all your energy, your, your fitness goes. You know, I think I lost five or six kgs. So all that hard work that I'd done in, in, in that kind of little block um, was just pretty much taken away from me and my fitness was gone as well. And so um, it was tough, but I think I was just, I just had different goals, so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to play. And I guess for me, luckily, I just had a head of a mindset. Radio, it's not great that I'm not playing, but how can I continue to still improve? I can still, you know, I can still lift weights with my jaw. I can still pass. I can still kick. I can still improve. Glandular fever is a little bit different. Had to have a little bit of a different approach. Uh, but then when I came back, I was actually real lucky. I got to play five club rugby games to be able to get my fitness back. And then I actually ended up playing a bit of Bunnings NPC. But yeah, I guess for me, disappointing. But I think I had a really good mindset around what my recovery looked like. It wasn't just going to drop my lip. wasn't going to be disappointed. I wanted to have a different goal. I gave myself different goals with different blocks of that kind of injury period. And I found it just kind of stimulated me mentally and kept me on the right, on the right note. Growth mindset. I like it, but yeah, must've been bloody tough to gone through all that hell. Like you said, that old school preseason and then knowing you had to like put yourself through it again. And if not, probably do a little bit more to even get yourself prepared to, undertake all that all of next year's training but yeah. so like you said you work your way back to full health get some club rugby games under your belt you play a bit of NPC, and then for the next three years you're playing your trade with the blues yep. come the end of that though you make the quarter move down to the crusaders so with yep. that were you approached for that move why'd you make it and can you explain why things never quite clicked with the blues in your time there yeah it's a really good question um i think for me I was probably injured as well. I think the 2013 year, I was injured pretty much the whole year. 2014, like pretty much had a really, had a really good season. It was probably my first breakout year, being able to play really consistently at that level. Powell got injured. We had four weeks. We had a bit of, he was a bit, he had a few, he had a bit of an illness. And so I had a bit of, I had a four week block. I was off contract that year and just really knew that I was like, look, like this is the, make it all break it kind of situation. Um, ended up having a really good year in 2014 to be able to play and learn. 2015 comes along, I get injured, I break my foot. I'm out for 12 weeks, so I'm out for that whole year. Go back and play Bunnings NPC. I'm actually captain of North Harbour and probably, that was probably the toughest part of my career, I think, to date that year because I wanted to come back, you know, as a kid, you know, as a, you know, that was my second year in Super Rugby, had a lot of learnings from pity and like wanted to come back. Sorry, this is my third year. And really wanted to have a great season in that minor 10 cup space. But, um, you know, probably the captaincy at that time. I was young, 22, 23. You probably started worrying about other people like you do as a captain. You start mm -hmm. worrying about other people. What do they need to do to get better? How do I can, how do I make them better? How do I make our team better? And probably just took away a little bit from myself 
of what I need to do as a player probably wasn't as consistent as I as I should have been. And mate, honestly, 2016 came around and I'll never forget it, man. Tano Umanga, he was just appointed as the coach and he was doing reviews at the end of the year with the North Harbour. And at that time we had our reviews and he comes in. I finished with the coach at that time. And Tana's in there and he goes, uh, look, Brent, mate, look, I know that you've had a few injuries and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you had a great year in 2014 and you've just come back off a few injuries. But look, to be honest, if you weren't contracted for this year, we probably wouldn't pick you. And I was like, so I was a real eye-opener. That's probably the first time that I've had someone come up to me in my in that part of my career um, that's saying, like, really question me and say, like, we wouldn't have picked you if you weren't signed. So for me, that really lit a, lit a fire underneath my belly to really, um, because I've always got a great work ethic, but that kind of burn of like, you know, someone not rating you or someone not thinking that you would have um, been in our team. Whether he thought there was a thing to be able to light me on, but a light a bit of fire for me, I'm not too sure. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but um, it really did. And so that 2016 year, um, ended up playing, you know, pretty well consistently and, um, you know, probably finished off my Blues tenure how I wanted to, starting and probably putting enough effort in there and how I wanted to finish there. But um, I guess for me, it was just really... It wasn't until I left, until I understood what was kind of going wrong. And so I guess early in my career, I had, you know, Pity Weepu, who is probably one of the most smartest rugby players I've ever known. More so just at seeing how you do as a game. It's not just passing the ball. It's how do you manipulate the defense? It's what are you looking for? Second, third phase. Where's the kick space? Defensively, you know, you need to bait people in that kind of position. So for me, my first two years, I was just growing and having like a really growth mindset and seeing different things, asking the right questions. And probably 2015, 2016, I probably just didn't have that. Um, and that's not to say, look, the coaches aren't, weren't able to do that. But just for me, the questions that I was asking and, and I guess, you know, the kind of detail and kind of preparation that I like to do and how I think probably wasn't suited at that time. And I, it's probably wrong now because Leon, Leon McDonald and knowing him, he has a real growth mindset and attention to detail and preparation is a really big thing. And so it wasn't until I left at the Crusaders the first year and I went down there and I was like, all these guys asking the exact same questions of how I'm thinking the game and like saying like, oh, I'm like, mate, I'm in the right place here because like the level of like learning that I probably missed the first two, the last two years of my career at the Blues, I was getting it in space, whether it be with Kieran Reid, Ryan Crotty, Tim Bateman, Izzy Dagg, Owen Franks, Cody Taylor, you know. So the level of knowledge that I was gaining, it felt like I was back at the Blues my first two years because of with pity. And it wasn't just one person. It was, you know, eight to 10 players that I was consistently learning off. So to answer your question, bro, I just think that was probably it. Um, just being able to see the game, how I wanted to see it. And then when I went down south to the Crusaders, the way that I was thinking of the game, that's how I saw it. And that's how those boys were thinking of it as well. And so that's when I saw more improvement than I was doing in probably the last two years I was at the Blues. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to throw that in there as well. I phrased that last part of that question as more a collective thing rather than trying to have a go at you individually because I think anybody who's played in a footy team knows when the team isn't going that great, it's really hard to do your job. You know, a lot of times you find guys trying to make up um, for different spaces or, you know, different sort of flaws. And then, like you said, you you find yourself in an environment where you're like-minded with everybody and you just see the growth in your game there. Now, I talked to Mitch Hunt a couple of weeks ago. Shout out to Mitch, great fella. And he mentioned the fact that (laughs) Razor's level of detail is second to none. And that coupled with that is that maybe similar to Tana in a way, he's a straight shooter with his feedback as well. He won't beat around the bush and he won't try and, you know, sugarcoat things. Was that your first impression as well? And 
did you notice it like you said not on, I, know, I know you mentioned the boys and being in the being around the crusaders environment and how they thought like you but did right did razor strike you strike you straight away it's just like and this guy is just different yeah very different um a good different um and what i mean by that is what he does really really well and i've said it a couple of times like he's got a really good ability to bring a group together some coaches could probably fall into that trap of having you know one to 15 and really taking care of the one to 15 mm-hmm. but razor is really great at being able to bring a whole group together not just one to 15 or to 23 it's the whole 37 and bringing them for a common goal and moving collectively in the right direction and so look, when you've got a coach that can do that, he does a lot of, you know, we do theming, a lot of New Zealand teams do a lot of uh, top teams, do a lot of theming to be able to bring your, um, your seasonal goal to within a theme. And Razor's really good at being able to do that every single year. And, you know, probably what he's done really well, and it takes a really selfless coach and a good understanding of your personality as well, is that he doesn't know everything. Look, he is a great coach, but, you know, his strengths that he have, like I've alluded to, his, his, I guess his his negatives are really good with his assistant coaches that he has, whether it be, you know, when Leon McDonald was down there at the first time, Brad Moore, very attention to detail, a really good understanding of like being able to put the picture together, the overall goal that Ray's really good at, and it can really give that attention to detail and for us boys to be able to then go and go out and be able to put in a good performance due to the fact that we've got enough detail within our game. Um, and then, you know, you've got the likes of Andrew Goodman, Ronan O'Gara, he thinks outside the box, you know, for two years in our team, you had Ronan O'Gara and Mark Jones from different places in the world to get that different perspective. And having Ronan O'Gara in our, in our group was a massive shift with how we with how we played and how we um, evolved our game. Because um, you can get you can get you know complacent and thinking like we're doing the right things here and we just get a little bit better with us doing the same stuff. But Razor's really great at being able to say how can we get better? What what does that look like? And like I said with the examples of bringing Ronan O'Gara and Jones into our environment and then even Tommy Ellison with us this year. Um, he's got a really good ability collectively with our coaches to be able to go on the same page. All five or six of them are all on the same page and they're in the right direction. And when you've got that with the coaching management and you've got that with players and a strong leadership group, um, you get results like we have in probably the last five and six years. Absolutely, bro. And you touch on the success. You boys, your first year down there, you go on and win the title over in Johannesburg. And as anybody who you know follows the game knows, you guys have not stopped winning ever since. On that note of winning, did you find it harder getting that first championship? Because that 2017 season, before that was Todd Blackadder, and he hadn't had the same success as what Razor's had. Did you find it harder winning that first championship or backing it up? Because I know that elite athletes talk all the time about how it's almost harder to back it up because you know you've worked so hard to get to that moment where you're the winner. And then once you realize that it's like, well, I'm the winner. Like, how can I train any harder? Like, how do I get better? Like, and you, and that's why you see like a lot of teams across a, a lot of other sports, they struggle to back it up. So yeah. Yeah. What's your take on that? Yeah. I think for me personally, it was my first time being in a, in a playoff and actually winning it. So I was really lucky, you know, I went my first four years, not winning anything, not knowing what it means to win, but you're talking about that top black hitter, um kind of timeline as they went, a lot of those boys had lost finals. You know, we lost to the Waratahs. I think we lost to the Waratahs. We lost to the Reds. And so those boys had been in really great teams. Like, if you go back and you look at that Todd Blackadder era, mm. how many great breaks that are, like, not only great Crusader players, but New Zealand rugby greats in, the, in that team, and not to be able to get over the line. It was more so relief for those boys to be able to finally get it done and been able to, like, you know, oh, we've finally been able to win a championship because – 
before Todd Blackkeller, you know, there was so much rich history of the Crusaders winning finals and being a part of history and probably not getting those first, those two finals wins against the Red and the Waratahs just built that kind of anxiousness of, like, are we ever going to win one? Yeah. They never let it, they never let it go. And it wasn't until we actually won the final that those kind of emotions that was delivered to us. But it felt for the group, it's like, we finally got it. We finally got it done for those boys. But then for us new guys, it was a great feeling because we hadn't got, I hadn't gone through that. Some of us didn't go through that. And it was probably like, it was actually probably the toughest final that, that I've been a part of for us, that very first one, because um, as you know, Johannesburg and going to South Africa on a week preparation is probably the toughest thing that you ever do as a rugby player, because you know, it takes probably two weeks to acclimatize to South African conditions and the air and the breathing. And yeah, it was a really special week. We, we flew over, you know, we actually thought we we're going to have a home final because the Hurricanes... I think we're playing in Johannesburg for the semi-final and they were winning in that first half. So mm. we were had our we were had our bags packed. We were like watching the first half and I was like, oh, if I go to bed, but don't worry, I'll stay up for the next 10 minutes. And then before you know it, game finishes at two o'clock, three o'clock, and then we're on the bird three hours later. Oh, I go wow. heading over to Johannesburg. Yeah, so it was a real quick turnaround. And uh, it was a really, really light weekend, a hostile environment, the host the most hostile environment that I've ever been, I've ever been a part of. Like we ran out of that tunnel. And you had sixty thousand people booing you, in a sea of red, and not our, not our sea of red yeah. and black, a sea of red. <laughs> and yeah, just going through that whole experience and winning that, yeah, it was really, really special, really, really special. Yeah, it's. I, I guess I never thought about that actually. The the experiences that the guys who had lost the finals and how that experience actually mm. would have served you guys well um, going into, like you said, because was at the top of the podcast we mentioned the fact that it's actually the experiences that you go through, you know, losing those moments where perhaps you do your most learning. Um, yeah. So yeah, great little insight there. Yeah. And I think flowing on from that, just to carry on from your, from your question, um, is going through the, you talk about complacency and how do you continue to keep winning and that kind of stuff. And so I think it comes back to two things. I probably think it's your, the things that I talked about with Ray and his ability to be able to freshen the things and then being able to give us a goal of like what our season looks like. It's never the same season. It's never the same idea or the same like goal or purpose that we have. He always is able collectively with the coaches to word it differently or give us a different theme that's going to bring us all together to be able to go for a different goal. And it, it seems different. It doesn't seem like it's the same from the previous year. And then experiences of winning it, experiences of winning tight games and understanding and keeping the same nucleus of the group you know, I look at the first three years, we had the same group to be able to win those championships and knowing like what semi-final footy was like and being able to draw on those experiences and, you know, not feeling like the occasion's too big for us. We never, I never thought in games we were underprepared, we knew what was coming and we were prepared well and had the confidence of winning semi-final games and finals games. And then probably like after 2019, we had a lot of our All Black guys play, um, leave after the Rugby World Cup, like, you know, Toddy, Rito, Franksy, uh, White, Crockett, Israel Dag and a lot of those guys that had instilled the things that I to me and to our younger guys, they were all mm -hmm. gone. And so then probably the 2020 year was actually a new, new blood of Crusader men coming through um, and being able to win a title and you know Super Rugby Aotearoa and those kind of circumstances was was really good for us. And then now you see those boys now, you know, they've come in their experience now and um, it's just kind of it, it keeps on going. It keeps on going. Yeah. And those boys uh, at those experiences of learning off the previous three years. And now they're in it and knowing what it looks like moving forward. Well, old machine. Yeah. I, I tell you, somebody needs to go, the Hurricanes coaches or the Hurricanes board needs to go into the Crusaders and, I don't know, grab the video guy or grab someone and be like, 
relay whatever Rays has been doing. I know it's not as simple as that, but yeah, as a lifelong Hurricanes fan, um, I, I want to get back to the times. What was it? Yeah, 2015, 2016, when you know it was pretty much our golden patch. But back to you, my bro. Amongst all that winning that you did with the Crusaders, you've been a part of some other special environments, uh, namely the Māori All Blacks, and you also got the invite to go over to Japan with the All Blacks in 2018. Can you touch on those experiences? You know, one, how maybe the Māori All Blacks environment differs from everything else that you've experienced. And then I know that you didn't get to play that game, but being able to rub shoulders with the best of the best. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I love any time I get to go into the Māori's environment. I've been really lucky um, to play, you know, for, for a lot of years with that team. And probably the difference then, you know, being Māori yourself, bro, um, is that culture is really important. And Māoridom is really important in that environment. And it seems like every time you go in there, you learn something new about your heritage. Like you, Luke Crawford, who's our, our co-matua in that environment, you know, he can, you can reach out to him. And if you really want to go to in-depth around where your ancestors are from and what your culture looks like, that avenue is there for you. And a lot of our boys tend to be able to um, do that and go back to where the heritage heritages are and the ancestors. And so straight away, you have a connection as well because we're Māori in that team. And it's only exclusive for us to be able mm. to be Māori and play for our, for our people. And so that's really, really special. And haka. Haka and Waiata and Māori stories, um, it's done always well at our, in our environment. And so that's what I find it's, it's different. I mean, look, look, I love being Māori and I know how much it means to my family in Ngātaranga Nui and Tauranga every time that I get to put on the jersey. Um, you know, they see that and I'm a representation of my iwi and my, you know, my whakapapa as well. So um, every time I get the opportunity to do that, bro, I love it. And that's what that environment means to me. And that's probably the difference it has compared to any other New Zealand teams or just in teams in general. And then... Going into, you said with the All Blacks, it was it was a great moment to be able to be named first and foremost. Um, to get the name red was was awesome. And then just to experience what it's like to be an All Black, um, it was great. You know, even though it was for 10 days and I didn't get to get, get to play, but um, those experiences that I had there to be able to, this is what it looks like to be in the All Black environment, um, was great. And so just being able to rub shoulders. It's funny though, like a lot of the All Blacks boys were Crusaders at that time. So <laughs> the transition going into there didn't seem, wasn't actually that hard because I knew a lot of the players there where it might be a little bit foreign for other guys that don't have a lot of All Blacks in their Super Rugby franchises. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, it'll be something that, you know, I hold on for the rest of my life being named in that All Black squad. Mm-hmm. Now we touched on earlier the fact that you got a call from Jamie Joseph and at the time Aaron Smith was the halfback. And pretty much from when you left school, you know, up until now, your career has coincided with two guys that are probably going to go down as legends, you know, when it comes to the All Black jersey, that being Aaron Smith and TJ Pitanada. I'm not sure if you've thought about it at all, and I was just curious to ask, bro, do you ever think to yourself, like, man, if I had played maybe a couple of years earlier or I'd come a couple of years later, I would have got a, you know, a better look into playing for the All Blacks? Because that's, that's everybody's dream. And um, who's to know what the future holds, bro? But... For guys like yourself, and I think back to, you know, the players who were playing the same position as Dan Carter and Richie McCaw when they were at their peak, like, it's not that they weren't great players, it's just that they had legends in front of them. So, yeah, have you have you paid that any mind, bro, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I probably think about it like, if I'm well, looking at it now, I wish I was born probably 10 years later, because all of us are going to bugger off after this, probably this World Cup, so there's going to be a lot of new guys that are going to be blooded into that environment, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I guess to a certain extent you, you do think about it, but um, for me, I can only control what I can control and look, and mm-hmm. as you, you, yeah, you can have those thoughts. And to be honest, for me, it, it was probably a, a driving factor, I think, as well, um, knowing that, like, look, if I did want to become an or try to become an all black, I've got to try to be at a really high level to try and get there. 
And so if that carrot wasn't there of the, you know, trying to work really hard and trying to play consistently, um, then I probably don't think I would have probably played as, as well as I have for the longevity of my career that I have, having that carrot there for me. And look, it's not to say that, you know, if I did get it, then would that burn or that fire go out? I don't think it would, just but that's just how I'm wired. But I think for the fact that it was a, it was a carrot, it's been a carrot for so long, it's probably just driven me every day to still get up, still wanting to improve, still wanting to play really well consistently for Crusaders, NPC, Moldies, or whoever I play for, just for the fact of knowing that, you know, I you know wanted to become an all-black and that kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, like I said, you know, who's to know what's to come down the line? And especially over the years when you're playing such great footy, for a winning team, you know, you probably would have come close to selection, but there must have been some lucrative deals along the line. So what actually, you know, outside of the winning and being in a great environment and obviously coveting the black jersey, you know, what kept you in New Zealand with, you know, the possibility to maybe go and make some better coin overseas? Yeah, that's a good question, bro. Um, for me, money was never really a, a big a driving factor for me. I think, yeah, it was never really a, a big factor for me. And look, that doesn't say that there weren't offers that were posted out there, but for me, I loved winning. I love winning and I love competing. And so the driving factor for me was that I was in an environment where I was winning. We were winning consistently. I got that winning feeling. And I was also getting that uh, stimulation of like having my mind obviously stimulated through being able to learn and play well, but then also playing in a really good team and, and loving that. So um, yeah, that was the biggest driving factor for me, but I reckon that internally for myself, wanting to compete and be in a winning environment. And then also the character of the All Blacks as well keeps you here as well. That was probably the one of the other reasons as well. But um, yeah, that's probably, yeah, to answer your question, that's probably the reason why I've stayed along so long. I, I love winning and I love competing. And you certainly get that at the Crusaders, uh, competing every day against um, some pretty good halfbacks as well. Yeah, you can never have too many trophies. Uh, but should the time come where you want to take your talents overseas, have you got a preferred destination? Um, oh, look, bro, to be honest, anywhere, really. Um, I think the common trend at the moment with Kiwis is probably Japan. Um, mm -hmm. Japan's the nice, nice spot for... Um, for the body, apparently, I'm not too sure. That's what I've heard from there, from the folks over in um, in Japan. Beautiful city, beautiful lifestyle. Um, closer as well. It's only a nine, ten hour uh, one way flight, which is nice for being able to come back and see family. But look, there's a great brand of footy happening over at the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. Look, you look at the tie, the the international side of Ireland and France and England, and how successful they've been. And I guess you know their competition is at an all time high at the moment. So. Um, you know, playing in a Heineken Cup final or European Cup final, man, that would be a great achievement to be able to see what that's like in those kind of um, surroundings and seeing like what the differences of playing Super Rugby finals and then going playing, you know, in a hundred thousand or eighty thousand stand um, stadium of a one man of a one city team. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of options, bro. But um, yeah, those are probably the two things that I probably think about when if that when that decision comes. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what the future holds, bro. But alongside your footy, you're doing a bit of work in the media space, um, namely on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Guys, go and check that out on Rugby Pass if you haven't already. Have you paid any mind to what, you, what you're going to be doing post-career? Or, you know, maybe if the if the pay packet's sizable enough, maybe you ditch the rugby and um, look after the body maybe a little bit. But, yeah, is it something that you quite enjoy doing? And is it somewhere you look to possibly get into post-footy when you hang the boots up? Yeah, I do. Look, I love, I've been really fortunate with Aotearoa Rugby Podcast. We have that at, um, it's on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday night, 8.30 on Sky Sport. If you are, our listeners want to watch it, or, or Spotify on YouTube, if all listeners want to watch brother, it, I already know, brother, yeah, plug it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really do enjoy it, and I think I've done a little bit of my time just being able to work with, I was working with Code, um, there was play on Moldy TV for a year that we were able to do a sports show like that, so I've had a bit, little bit of an introduction, but it's been more so probably the last couple of years with Aotearoa Rugby Pod, 
and understanding and trying to um, fine tune myself if you know that was the career that I wanted to go down and seeing what that kind of behind the uh, in front of the lens is like mm-hmm. um, and I've really really enjoyed it I really enjoy the process around it um, and especially talking about rugby um, it's something that I really enjoy about but again I think having that growth mindset is really important and so um, upskilling myself or you know is there a possibility of going but I would upskill myself you know, going to Japan or England or the America, you know, America do it really well in the, in the podcast and the kind of talk show world, being able to upskill myself with that. So if I did want to go into that kind of field, I feel like um, getting different information and different settings of how people operate would be a really good opportunity for me to try and go through that way because I want to be able to be really good at what I do. So I want to try and kind of take that, take that uh, rugby mindset of being able to be uh, will have that world-class mindset. And I really, really do enjoy it um, uh, on camera. And then also I love coaching. Um, love the ability of um, the finer details of rugby. Obviously, our podcast has a little bit of that, but yeah, I love the game and could definitely see myself coaching as well. And then I think um, you know, being really smart and investing um, as well in properties and that kind of stuff as well. Man of many talents. So we'll just see. Like I said before, have to see what the future holds for your brother. Um, I think that's pretty much all I wanted to get uh, from this pod from your career so far, my man. But I'd like to end all of my interviews on two different segments. The first being, what's your game day routine? <laughs> what is my game day routine? Um, I'm pretty cruisy, to be honest. I think for me, I just need to get, I, have, I need to have a coffee in the morning. Really crucial that I have a coffee in the morning. Um, at the moment, there's, well, I used to live with Tom Christie and Will Jordan. And we used to always go out for a coffee on a Saturday morning at the same, the cafe room 205 in, um, in Fendleton. So that would be my only routine at the moment. And then make sure that I have a coffee before the game. I just have to have a coffee before the game, so whether it be away or at home i just got to have my coffee so i'm a big caffeine fan true no superstitions i used to i used to when i was younger like i used to like man i was terrible when i was younger like geez i had to wear the same i had to wear the same undies i had to wear the same tights had to do the same strapping on the right leg start with the right leg left leg then my shoulder but i think since i've cooled out a little bit um i'm not really that superstitious anymore superstitious anymore oh i probably just have to um playing grip socks at the moment so um yeah there's a lot of boys um that kind of cut their socks and you have like grip socks that are on your yep. feet so they don't slip so yeah that's probably the only superstition that i have at the moment yeah bro that's crack up i know a lot of the the club boys that i've played with like our team managers hate them because the managers yeah. don't realize they, they just think they're going to wear the socks over the socks but the boys cut it and then tape them and then all of a sudden you know when you get to the back end of the season after a few muddy games and you know, everybody's grabbing all the clean socks. It's like, oh fuck, there's actually not that oh, many left. I, I get the piss. I get the piss taken out of me now because, like, I played well. How many games I played? I'm saying like almost eighty odd games, and so like I've cut 80, 80 odd socks <laughs> at the Crusaders, and so every time we have fines left, list, um, list with our sheriff in there, I just get absolutely um hounded with my um with my cutting of socks. <laughs> oh, bro, but if it works for you and you play the way that you do, brother, I wouldn't stop it. Um. Last segment, my G. It's called 10 in the bin. 10 quick fire questions. And if you can answer whatever comes to mind first, main. See, bro. Number one, who was your childhood idol? Uh, Jimmy Cowan and Furu the Prayer. Mm. Champion lightweight. Who's the biggest lightweight that you know? Oh, man. Who's the biggest lightweight? Oh, who can I stitch up there? <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Who's a lightweight? Oh, Tom Christie. <laughs> The man can tackle though, bro. Holy! I won't hold it against him. He can be a lightweight if he keeps making twenty tackles a game. <laughs> uh, must do on a day off. Golf. Nice. What do you shoot? Oh, I just went out today and I was terrible. So I'm a 
I'm at nine handicap at the moment, but I didn't play like any of that today. I was terrible. <laughs> you got to go again. Um, worst coach's pet. Oh my God, who's the worst coach's pet? Uh, probably oh, Tom Sanders, actually. Tom Sanders for, uh, from Ray for um, Big Razor. Mm, interesting. Where's he at at the moment? He's over in Japan. Oh, yeah. Making the moolah. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Uh, favorite cheat meal? Oh, Cabanara. Mm, homemade or do you get it brought out? Oh, my missus actually makes a really good Cabanara at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'd probably say her Cabanara is probably unreal. So be How hers. good. Browning points at the same time. Um, <laughs> cheapest team. <laughs> cheapest teammate, bro. Who's Gorse Pockets? Jack Goodhue. <laughs> Funny you say that. I think I who was I? Forgive me for for mentioning all my old guests, bro. But um, Manasa Matiere was talking about how one of his rituals is like going out with the boys and playing cards, and so they'll all order breakfast. And he says like, "Yeah, Jack Goodhue's just like straight nut. I'm gonna go eat my porridge at home, just religiously." So this I mean, this is not bad. Jack Goodhue is, bro. So like, we'll play poker sometimes. We play a bit of poker. And um, oh, the kind of, the rule is really it's like kind of a, a half-ass rule, like just bring some treats, you know, a packet of a packet of lollies or a block of chocolate. And Jack will bring like um, one from like a fundraiser that someone's given to him as a gift, <laughs> so he doesn't have to pay. So he would like say, "Here we go, boys!" And one time, bro, I kid you not, man, I don't know where he found. He must have found them like at a fundraiser, like school, like fundraiser or fair. They were just like sour gobstopper lollies, and he just bought them in, and they were, mate, absolutely horrific, and we couldn't eat them. So Jack Goodhue, yeah, he's a, a massive gorse pockets, bro. <laughs> Frugal for being um, a bit more PC. Uh, <laughs> second dream. So if you weren't playing footy, like, what would you love to be doing right now? Bro, I'd actually love to be a WWE wrestler. Eh? I never got into wrestling as a kid. My as soon as my old man told him told me it was fake, it just like threw it for me. But like, it seems like I missed out on the best part of being a kid, like because all my boys love it. Yeah, WWE wrestler easily, bro. WrestleMania main event would be my ideal dream. What would your name have been? Oh, sure, nah, surely you've got one, bro. Come on. Oh, I actually, that's so silly, but I should. It's a dream <laughs> that I actually don't have a name. So maybe after this podcast, I'll probably actually think of a name of what my, my stage name would be. Bro, who knows what the future holds, bro? We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, biggest grub you've played with or against? Brody Retallick's pretty bad, man. And um, Sierra Tompkinson, he's, man, he's, he got me good in my ribs um, a couple of years ago in a preseason game. Yeah, Sierra and probably um, Brody Retallick. Guys you'd rather have on your team than play against, right? Yeah, definitely. Best piece of advice you've received? Um, control what you can control. It's really, I think it's a really good one. Um, probably connected with me a lot later in my career. You can only control what you can control. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Last one. You just got to finish the sentence for me. Saturdays are for... <laughs> for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> M- maybe oh. cut this at the, at the Cabanara plug for the missus, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Saturdays are for coffees or days of my <laughs> my <life. laughs> Oh, bro, how good. Um, Just want to reiterate, bro, just how thankful I am to have had a bit of your time to get some greater insight, um, not only into your career, but, uh, you know, the experiences that you've had, you know, with the Crusaders and, and what sets them apart from the pack. I wish you nothing but the rest, but the best for the rest of the season. Good luck against the Blues and stay well. Awesome, bro. Thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome. Cheers. Legend.